welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for May 8th. I am Dylan Flynn. I am Trevor Ickrath. Trevor, I would like to talk to you. I'm so excited to talk to you about the Lens app before we get into the news. <laughs> Our ongoing coverage of the Gorilla's Lens app. I'm fucking irritated, dude. Okay, so I still haven't tried it. You don't you can't. We're, this is oh. a welcome to a retraction. Oh no, what a shame. So it's not actually out in America. Let me explain how I downloaded the Lens app on my phone. Did you go to the deep web? No. So That's where I get all my gorilla. That's where I get where that's where I get my hard gorillas content. <laughs> right. You will recall a few weeks ago I drove to a park in Houston to do the spirit house thing. I do remember. Then afterwards, I went on Reddit and saw that some people were cheating the system to use third-party apps to trick their phones into thinking they were in a different part of the country in order to uh, see a spirit house without leaving their home. I wanted to see if that actually worked or if it was bullshit, and so I downloaded one of these one of these sneaky apps, I'm sure, that stole all of my information and gave it to some kind of a scammer, and I tried to see if I could get access to the Copenhagen one to see like, can I trick my phone into thinking I'm in Copenhagen? Right. Okay. Yeah. And it didn't work. And then I think I never reset it. And so what happened is my phone has thought it's been in Copenhagen for weeks. <laughs> nice. Yes. And so when I downloaded that app, I was pretending that I was a European citizen. This I feel is the, it's the return of the Jedi of our lens app coverage. Let it rest. For at least a decade until we come back to look at the Lens app in 10 years. And to cover like the uh, creation of it. So it's kind of like, you know, accurately a prequel. Exactly. We'll do a prequel trilogy about the Lens app in another decade. Yeah. Anyway, do you want to get into the news? Yeah, let's get into the news, Trevor. It's all good news now. Trevor, let's talk about sales. So the UK didn't pan out how we were hoping. We got to number two, and it was really close. Like, throughout the week, the updates were like, Gorillas are only 300 copies away from beating Ed Sheeran to be number that one. That fucking goblin. Ed Sheeran, I think, was on, like, week nine of his release. So, yeah, that's a little bit disappointing. Um, that fucking hobbit. And then I think that the new Billboard 200 figures won't be up until Tuesday, but it looks pretty solid at this point that Gorillas mm-hmm. are going to have number one on sales. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the Billboard 200, which which factors in also streams and it does not look like they'll catch up to kendrick lamar but who can king kenny king kenny and then this is i think the coolest thing we got this week trevor yeah so the late show with steve colbert we got that performance last week and that was cool they did let me out Mm -hmm. but then this week as a big surprise they released this 30 minute concert documentary of four songs that were performed by the band and like behind-the-scenes interviews with a bunch of collaborators from humans, not even just the ones who are on the show. Like, really, really elaborate. Yeah, this was, a, this was a really nice little gift, I think. I don't know. It seemed like it was really thoughtfully put together. There was this one moment where Damon mentions that he, he didn't say it quite as, as saccharinely as this, but, like, you know, even if times are bad, you got to laugh to get through it or whatever. Yeah. And then it, they put together this kind of, edit piece of all the different people they interviewed laughing and then it see it segued into the laugh at the beginning of feel good ink that was a very nice touch one of my favorite parts was uh them asking the collaborators where they thought the actual members of the band were because damon uh opened the sequence by saying oh yeah we're here to play the colbera show because uh uh, the actual members of the band are off lost in New York or something. That's so awesome. When was the last time he did that kind of in-character shit, you know? I remember specifically, during something in Phase 3, there was like a weird kind of feedback noise. I can't remember where it was. And he asks like, what's that noise? And somebody uh, somebody from the band, not the band, the audience goes, it's Noodle. And he goes like, yeah, well, tell her to fix her amp or something. <laughs> Like, really not amused. I Like, if anybody can send us a link to that or something, please do so. It was so awkward. That's a big contrast between the Damon of 2017. He goes, my cartoon friends can't be here tonight. I, I know. <laughs> uh, and also they interviewed Mavis Staples, which was awesome. I loved um, hearing her talk so nicely about Pusha T. Yeah, she goes, I liked his rap. Pusha T, I like what he's throwing down there. Uh, so, okay, we got to talk about it. So, in lieu of De La Soul performing on the Colbert Show, uh, Stephen Colbert rapped as De La Soul. 
He did both verses. Instead of chocolate attack, he said mayonnaise attack. He was wearing kind of like a parka, like a, a, a fuzzy parka. Yeah, like the LSO were wearing in the Feel Gooding video. Here's one one place where we can both agree, Trevor. I think, judging on that performance, it is clear that Stephen Colbert is a big fan of Gorillaz. Or at least a fan of Feel Good Inc. Who wasn't, a, who wasn't a fan of that single when it was huge. Right. Here's where we differ. I thought it was really charming. I really was charmed by it. And I thought it was pretty cringeworthy. The fan base was mostly on Steven's side. Um, they seem to have loved it. Yeah, I, I seem to be the outlier here. But, you know, I, I'm pretty opposed to the concept of fun in general. <laughs> you know what? If it was any other song, I probably would have, the kitsch of it would have bothered me. But, like, how many times have I seen Feel Good Inc. performed on these types of shows? Like, just something a little bit more playful and a little different was fun. And, I mean, they didn't roll with it on the late show. You know, it was just a, it was kind of like a, victory lap for this little documentary they made at the end of it i don't know i liked it that definitely did help yeah all right so those uh those are live performances that we've already gotten but there are also going to be a new wealth of live performances in the future we've got 23 dates 23 the gorillas number announced in europe and they're also going to be appearing at uh, austin city limits but yeah that's awesome i mean i personally know of quite a few texas gorillas fans myself included although i will not be in texas by the time that rolls around a little disappointed that I won't be there. That's a great lineup this year. I could have seen Ice Cube and, and Gorillaz on the same uh, show. That would have been dope. Would you say it'd be a good day? I would. I would. I'd say it'd be a good day. And I wouldn't even have to use my AK, Trevor. Hopefully not. And then, yeah, the European tour is awesome. They added a second date at the O2 Arena, which bumped it up to 23 because the first one sold out so quickly. That should be a blast. Looks like they're, they're hitting a lot of places that they haven't even been to yet, so that's going to be cool. Okay, let's get into the big shit. Yeah, this is this was so exciting, and it happened like last night at like one a.m. Right? Yeah, we were both like up way too late on a on a Gorillas fan Discord, like a couple of losers on a, yeah. on a Saturday night. Yeah, and uh, this shit leaked while we were on there, and we were like freaking out about it. So mm-hmm. we've talked before, I think, on the show, right? That there's this whole fourteen separate vinyl the super deluxe version the super deluxe version of humans that's coming out at the end of the summer right we've talked about it on the show before the yeah what we knew about it before last night was that it was going to be this collection of every main song on humans not the not the bonus tracks and the flip side of each record would be an alternate version of that song but now that we have the track list trevor it's not clear that all of these are actually alternate. Some of these might just be fucking flat-out humans' B-sides, new songs. It's as it's ambiguous as hell. So let's go through them. Let's go through them and talk right. about them. So there's um, there's Ascension, first disc, obviously. And on the other side, you've got this track called Long Beach. Not Ascension alternate version, Long Beach. Now, that's weird because, of course, uh, Vince Staples is from Long Beach. Exactly. So, like, what the what the hell? But he's not credited as being a guest on that track. No. So is this here's here's my theory. If I here if I had to put money on it today, I believe that Long Beach will be the people to Ascension's Dare. That's my guess. Okay. What would the people equivalent of Ascension even be though? Maybe lo- more Damon Chatter. Possibly. Like yeah, a longer attack on Iraq se- section. Um, yeah, I I cannot wait to hear these though. So then we've got a strobe light b-side with colombians the only thing i have to say about that is that cali is from colombia that one feels like it could be more of a coincidence could definitely be a coincidence but i'm just thinking you know yeah. vince staples long beach cali uchis colombia but again neither of them are credited on these tracks so we don't know so we'll see then we've got saturn's bars with duets duets with a z of course duets yeah what do you think about the idea of a, a gorilla song called duets that doesn't have a featured performer on it that's a i actually didn't realize that but i mean it's a pretty on the nose uh track title for a gorilla song almost more so than circle of friends <laughs> right almost all of them could be called duets yeah. except for when they're you know quartets <laughs> right moments and midnight float midnight float uh is interesting because it actually features a performer who was on moments what's his name Azakel, i think Right, he's the one doing the shivers down the backbone part. Which, by the way, I know that I'm wrong. Enough of you have reached out about that not being Damon that I accept it, okay? Are you willing to accept that the Cool Clown Clan part is Ben Mendelsohn yet? Fuck no! All right. (laughs) The feud continues. That moment, that moment during the live episode we're going to do when Damon brings Ben Mendelsohn out on stage in full in full Rogue One costume, which he's expressed interest in doing. Yes, I know. You hear it coming straight from his mouth. Like, I think we can cancel the show after that. There'll be a lone gunshot in the back <laughs> of the forum. <laughs> anyway, 
After Midnight Float, we've got a submission and then B-side with oh. grilling with his face. <laughs> grilling with his face. <laughs> now, here's one where I, I got to lean towards this being a brand new B-side. Because I really can't imagine that the song we now know as Submission grew out of a song <laughs> called Grilling with His Face. I don't know which I would want more, an original B-side or to see how Submission could have possibly... <laughs> At some point in the past or future of the version we got, turned into a song called Grilling With His Face. This next one, though, the first of the um, alternate, ver- the true alternate versions, we've got Charger featuring Pauline Black. Now, that's interesting, because yeah. she's, she's the lead singer of a band called The Selectors. They were like a two-tone ska band in the late 70s, very, very famous, kind of mm-hmm. contemporaries of people like The Specials and, and whatnot. But that'll be interesting to see because, you know, Charger to me is is so kind of co-owned by Grace Slick that I, I can't even imagine what it would be like with a with a different artist on it. But we'll see. Maybe she'll be going like, expertise. <laughs> I would, yeah, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. <laughs> I'm, I would be super interested in a two-tone version of Charger. Like, honestly, then next we've got Andromeda uh, with a B-side Andromeda Drom special. Yeah, I assume that's just going to be what we got on the Sound Exploder podcast. I'm guessing. So special is a word that comes up a few times. Like, it'll come up over and over again. And I, just looking at the songs that we get it on, I have a theory about what that means when they say so-and-so special. Mm-hmm. I think what it means is it's the same version as we have on the album with an additional verse by this person. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Then we've got another special version. We've got a Boston Blue with a Faya Yunnan special. Yeah, I had to look her up. So mm-hmm. she's a Syrian singer. I wonder if Damon met her during that last Africa Express traits, which was uh, right. which was in Syria. She's the first Middle Eastern artist ever to crowdfund her debut. My initial reaction, Trevor, is that Boston and Blue is not in need of a guest verse. Uh, no, I think it's going to tr- detract a little bit from it. But but I am interested to see what it sounds like to have a Syrian pop musician on that uh, on that song. I'd rather have that version in addition to the one we have. Exactly. I'd rather have every one of these than not having a look into, you know, the human's process. Exactly. This one I'm kind of excited about, though. We've got Carnival and then Carnival with 2D special. I know a lot of people were saying, like, oh, Carnival's cool, but, you know, it doesn't really go anywhere. Maybe it could have used, like, a 2D verse or something. And now it looks like we might be getting that. First of all, Trevor, is it weird? Is it as weird for you as it is for me to see 2D as a featured artist on a track? <laughs> it is. Like, right? Yeah, apparently um, the version they played live at Printworks uh, included some additional Damon vocals, but I actually haven't heard that. I tried to listen to it, but the quality was so awful that I bailed out. Yeah, so, so I guess I guess for now we're going to be getting a studio version of that version. So that's very cool. Very exciting. And then we've got uh, Let Me Out next with one of the more evocatively titled B-sides, I think. Five Whales in a Dream? If I had to guess if any of them had like a people-slash-dare relationship, I would say that Ascension and Long Beach and then Moments and, and the other one with Azekel on it. Right. This one, to me, sounds like it—I feel like it has to be just a new B-side because— Mavis talked about the creation of Let Me Out on the Colbert uh, documentary, and she was like, Mm -hmm. Damon Albarn called me and said, I'm going to take a train from New York to Chicago. And she was like, why can't you just fly? And he said, because I haven't written this song yet, and I need the time on the train to write it for you. Right. But I know that it's going to be called Let Me Out, which to me sounds like Mm -hmm. unless there was some – Something kicking around with like that synth line on it that was called Five Wheels in a Dream. It really sounds like Five Wheels in a Dream is a completely separate track. That's my guess. After that, we've got um, Sex Murder Party with um, Garage Palace feat Little Sims. Okay, Little Sims, she's a, she's a UK rapper who's kind of an up-and-comer in the indie hip-hop British scene. And he talked about working with her when he was doing that initial interview where he revealed that he had 45 songs and he mentioned i don't know if he was finishing up recording with her in april or finishing up like the mastering and mixing of the songs she worked on but as far as we know the completion of these little sim songs is much later than the than the humans release yeah which is why i'm not ruling out like the idea of let me out becoming five wells in a dream you know yeah it could totally go the other way by alternate versions he might have literally remixed them that could definitely be the case so when this song is called garage palace do you think um that's a reference to garage music the kind of uk 
electronic genre. That's a good point. I wish I'd listened to more Little Sims to know whether or not she has kind of a, a UK garage or grimy thing going on. Then we've got um, She's My Caller with uh, Cali Uchis Spanish Special. I assume that might be exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, probably the version we have on the record plus an additional Cali Uchis verse in Spanish would be my guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, next up we've got Hallelujah Money with um, another evocatively titled track, Phoenix on the Hill. I'm going to try to say this guy's name because I think I watched a little YouTube video where it was said. Yeah, and I, I'm sure I'll butcher it. I believe it's Siddiqui Diabate. Gotcha. I looked it up. He's from Mali. He plays the Kora, which is like a 21-stringed uh, kind of harp lute that looks a little bit like a banjo. Yeah, then we've got the last one. We got the power with Transformer. Tran- the S, of course, being replaced by a Z. Right. So that was a working title for the for the album Humans. Um, yeah, before um, before Damon's daughter recommended that he changed it because uh, she thought it would you know bring the Transformers films to mind by Michael Bay. And for an old ass like me, it also is just too close to to the Lou, Lou Reed, Reed album. Yeah, totally. But this is another one where the timelines to me are suggesting that this is a, a distinct B side from We Got the Power. Here's why. So. What we know about the timeline of, of the creation of We Got the Power is that when Noel Gallagher joined on to the song, it was just a bass line and a beat and the title, We Got the Power. And an idea that it was supposed to be about that bell painting. <laughs> and a, yeah, a picture of a monk underneath the bell. We also know that sometime, either around then or before then, that the album was going to be called Transformer. So that, to me, says that this song comes from that era. That's my guess. So to me, the timelines are saying... That's not going to be an alternate version of We Got the Power, which I know some people are probably disappointed about because they wanted to hear that kind of the hallowed Brit poppy. Yeah, with like Graham Coxon on it and stuff. I know that a lot of people were excited to hear that version. I don't know that we're going to get that on this release. What a shame. But holy shit, Trevor. I know, that's such exciting news. I can't wait for this. When is it supposed to be um, coming out again? It's August 25th, so we got got to wait. Yeah. All right. And it's still it's still vinyl only at this point, the crazy limited edition super expensive vinyl. I am crossing my heart and hoping to die that there is a digital release of these songs. Uh, I got to tell you, though, if there isn't, I, I was unable to dish out $400 for something that's already sold out. Uh, I'm going to have to become a, a plastic beach style fucking Murdoch pirate and uh, and go creeping on the Internet. Can we like um? Can we like crowdfund? Uh, can we get on like a GoFundMe or something and get our listeners to buy us one? Oh, and then we'll we'll play them on the on the show. Yeah, let's do that. Like I said, it's it's time these people started pitching in. You know, <laughs> we do this for free. Just buy us buy us an album. We we'll even have a PayPal set up. Anyway, um, I'm so fucking excited. Like on paper, anyway. If you take out all the tracks that are for sure alternates, right? And let's say that none of these are demos. They're all just standalone B-sides. Yeah. This is longer than the album we're going to review today. Yeah, and I saw uh, somebody mention that if you put them together with the bonus tracks, you basically got, like, another... You basically got the... Uh, you got H-sides. Yeah, exactly. And and it's just exciting that Damon flaunted this 45 additional songs number, and we've, we're already looking down the barrel at potentially nine yeah. of those additional songs. Yeah. Like, that's exciting, man. Speaking of the album we're going to review today, do you want to get into the roundtable? Yeah, let's get into the round table. All right. The first Gorillaz Studio outtake B-side compilation to come out. In fact, it was first released in Japan in 2001, and then it came out in the U.S. and the U.K. in 2002. This is kind of the like underappreciated stepchild of the Gorillaz catalog, and I'm actually more looking forward to talking about it than I was expecting to be. It's, it's an interesting historical document because... More so than the B-sides of of Demon Days or the still unreleased B-sides of Plastic Beach, the stuff that was discarded in Phase 1 is pretty important because it kind of shows you the exploration of figuring out what the gorilla sound wasn't and what it was. Which takes me to um, the three words we have been coming up with to describe each album, actually. You want to hear those? Yeah, let's hear yours. I'd love to hear yours. All right, so I've got Loose... Nice. Curious. Nice. And illuminating. Nice. I like that. The curious one 
really reminds me of one of my three. Okay. When I say curious, I'm actually talking about uh, from the perspective of the band, I think, or from Damon. Yeah, at this point, he was kind of still figuring out what he wanted an animated band to sound like. So it's kind of like almost a real-time exploration of him figuring that out, which I think is pretty cool. And then I'll give you my three, and then we'll get into the third one probably. All right. Let's hear it. (laughs) My three are rootsy. Okay. Exploratory. And inessential. <laughs> oh, bummer. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that this is a fan document, man. I don't know that G. It is a fan document, but I think it is an essential look for Gorillas fans. I think it's really rewarding to go back and look at the kind of songs that ended up getting tossed out of these sessions. Yes, I agree with you. I think that anybody looking to have a deeper appreciation and understanding of of the band, it's absolutely an essential you know, entry into the, into the gorilla catalog. I guess what I'll say is that when this came out 2002, I bought it day one and like was just so overjoyed to have more gorillas. It was know? great. It's kind of like going back to our star Wars jokes. It's kind of like the expanded universe of the gorillas canon. And I mean, you know, it was so cool to hear some songs that I'd heard on the Kong website in their more realized versions. And like, I don't think I really got too much into the file sharing side of things, so a lot of these were, were still new to me. Right. Speaking of uh, looking forward to getting songs from the uh, Kong website, I didn't get this uh, until after I got into Gorillas around 2005 with Demon Days. So right. when I picked this up for some reason, I was thinking I was going to get every Gorilla song I've ever heard that wasn't on the album. For some reason, I didn't know what Rocket was called, and I was expecting Rocket to be on there, and I was very uh, disappointed that it wasn't. It is sort of a phase transition song. I was like, where's the blah, blah, blah song? What's this Wise Guy's House of Wisdom remix shit? <laughs> let's talk about that. We'll get into it, though. Well, let's without talking about it specifically, anyway, Yeah. let's talk about the release, the actual package of G-Sides, because uh, there's, there's label fingerprints all over this fucking thing. Yeah, and I think that does the collection a serious disservice. It makes it feel a lot more thrown together than I think it could have. So if you look at the, at the timing of it, you get the feeling that maybe in the U.S., and then there's also the, the weirdness of the fact that there's inconsistent track lists across different regional versions of it, which is a bummer. Yeah, I'm really jealous that we didn't get that Rock the House uh, radio edit. <laughs> well, let's mention it now, because we're not mentioning it in the fucking review. <laughs> there's a version... Like, honestly, why? Because... Why? Here's why. Here's why. Because if your album is not over 30 minutes in length, it is an EP, and you have to pay different tariffs and different taxes on it. Right, but there was an original track that they took off to put the Rock the House remix in. God knows, my friend. God knows. We got Latin Simone, the English version. Yep. And on the original UK and Japanese version, it was Rock the House Radio Edit, and Latin Simone wasn't on there. And just in case you don't know, Rock the House Radio Edit is Rock the House, but he doesn't say ass. Isn't it a little shorter? Maybe. It's three minutes on G-Sides on Gorillas. It is 411 let's get into this album let's talk about it right yeah let's do it and should we say um right now how we're going to be addressing the different uh versions i think we're going to go by the the uk one and then kind of slot in the u.s versions yeah as we get to them or vice versa basically that yeah but both uh both versions or all three i guess considering the japanese one too uh, start off with the 192000 Soul Child remix, which a lot of people like. A lot of people like. It was certainly a very lucrative uh, effort. Yeah, this was a big hit, right? It was It was a pretty big hit, and then it was a major licensing play. Like, it was in so many commercials and TV shows and, and movies and kinds of things. Did they make a version of the video where they sped everything up and set it to this one? They did. Uh, okay. I, th- I thought I wasn't just making that up. That was, that was, I'm sure, an EMI play. Yeah. This was issued, Trevor, as a B-side of the CD single of 192000, and I, well, digging around found an interesting bit of behind the scenes info so the man behind uh soul child his name is damien mendes on his personal soundcloud he kind of posted his personal experience of making the song i i've pared it down it's pretty long he says i got a call from miles leonard the president of emi to talk about a project of blurs damon albarn they had inadvertently caught some heat by way of a two-step garage remix of Clint Eastwood. Now, let's... I think a lot of people forget that, okay? <laughs> in the UK, in the UK specifically... Yeah, this is so weird. The Ed Case remix of Clint Eastwood was a big hit. Not the original. <laughs> no. The really weird, sped-up kind of dancehall version. And so they wanted to recapture that magic. So Damien says, I was given a copy of their debut album... 
the brief was pick one of these songs that you can produce, remix or whatever, into a hit single. And then things went quiet for a few weeks. Then I got a call a few weeks later saying, Jamie Hewlett has already started working on a video for 192000. Can you look at that song and make it into a hit? And then here's his review of 192000, which I enjoy. This yep. is my favorite part. Mm-hmm. He goes, mm-hmm. To my ears, it was a ropey, dirgy old demo lacking a great melody, let alone a good hook. Ouch. Although I will say it does kind of sound like a ropey old demo. In a charming way. Maybe not in a radio play way. Yeah. <laughs> When I finished what would become the final mix, I begged EMI to let me mix it again, as I thought it sounded a bit distorted, rough, crusty, and not slick or modern enough. A few days later, I did a new mix, which remedied the so-called faults, but overall, it lacked the charm of the original. I bowed to nature and let my previous mix be used as the main radio and video version. Later in the comments, right, somebody says, I love this, it sounds like Fatboy Slim. And then he says... Thank you. I actually think my main influences on this remix were Public Enemy and the Bomb Squad. (laughs) What? I don't know what's better. Like, bad information coming out of nowhere. Or him going, yeah, I made this uh, remix of 192000, uh, and uh, it was influenced by Public Enemy and the Bomb Squad. Uh, What do you think? And them going, oh, cool, you're kind of on a Fatboy Slim thing here, huh? Like... It is pretty Fatboy Slimmy, though. Those keys, those piano keys. Oh, my God, So yeah. Fatboy Slimmy. Oh, slimming. my God. Very, like, 2000s pop music. That's the thing, is that, like, I think that this is a pretty effective remix, but it sounds so 2001. Like it's it very sounds... dated. You know, I know, I actually know a lot of, of Gorillaz fans who, like, count this as one of their favorite remixes, and I guess not mm-hmm. being particularly passionate about any Gorillaz remixes, this is probably certainly in the upper half of them. Yeah, this is at the top of the pile for sure. After this on the UK version, we've got Dracula. Which is, I think, one of my favorite Gorillaz B-sides still to this day. This is a top three on G-sides for Dylan. Yeah, I'd say it would be up there for me, too. It's a B-side on the CD and cassette formats of the Clint Eastwood sing- single, Trevor. Which it goes very well with. It's, t- it's also got that kind of spooky re- reggae vibe. For sure, and in fact, the, the, the producer on this, uh, this record was Curtis Lynch Jr. in, in lieu of, of Dan the Automator. And Curtis Lynch Jr. is like a real, legit like Jamaican dancehall and reggae producer. Something I wanted to talk about first was, is the opening lyric the most misinterpreted Gorillaz lyric, do you think? I've never met anybody who's gotten it right the first time. Which one, rest is good for the blood, or... Um... No, no, uh, percentages told the line or whatever? Uh, yeah, that one, the, the first Damon lyric. Yeah, I think it's percentages told the line, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, know what I heard, though, and I feel less stupid because a lot of people have also heard this. Santa just told a lie? <laughs> I can hear that. Still 50% sure that he might be saying that. <laughs> but I love those. Uh, I love that Bugs Bunny sample at the beginning. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's from the cartoon where he yeah. makes Dracula. Rest is good for the blood. Yeah, that's great. And then uh, yeah. is this, Trevor, is this the only gorilla song with saxophones on it? This was my big question this week. That isn't a question that springs to my mind when I listen to Dracula, <laughs> but it could be. Well, the only challenger would be... Bill Murray. Yeah, because one of the guys in, in the Bees plays a lot of different horns and also a saxophone. But I was listening, mm-hmm. and I think it's just a tuba and a trumpet. Yeah, you can't really hear a sax in that track. I'm not this sure. It's really cool, though. It's so cool to see Damon doing, like, dark reggae. Yeah, and uh, and there's some like evocative lyrics, you know, just the some of us will never sleep again thing is, is memorable. Yeah. I love the way that the beat drops out during that second verse. That sounds really awesome. Yeah. And you just hear that the kind sa- of sampley whirling behind him, you know? Yeah, and the saxophone really does sound good on this track. Sounds fucking great on this it's track. It's employed dude. in a very atmospheric way, so it's not too much. Yeah, it sounds like there's just a little tiny jazz combo behind the track kind of keeping things moving. Mm-hmm. This one just, it sounds very much like a King Tubby or Scientist song to me. Like, it really just sounds legit. And one way that this song reminds me of Clint Eastwood is that long outro. There's like a super long outro on this track, which I really vibe on. This track almost reads as instrumental to me a lot of the time. Yeah, because there's that Damon feature up top. That's kind of a theme on G-Sides, actually, is that there's sort of lopsided, half-instrumental, half-vocal performance tracks on this record, you know? Yeah, totally. Well, you want to get into Latin Simone, the English version? Yeah, this is definitely a top three on the album for me, and maybe a top ten gorilla song, in my opinion. Wow, okay. I really like it, because for some reason, Latin Simone is one of my favorite beats they've ever done, and Damon's, like, vocals here are just, like, he sells it. You know what? I feel like 
more and more, I see both versions of these of this song as a missed opportunity. Real quick, I did want to mention that this, for people who are not in the United States, this is like one of the hardest Gorilla songs to get your hands on because it only ever was it only ever appeared on the B side of the 2000 enhanced version of Tomorrow Comes Today. So the pre Clint Eastwood single very limited run CD EP of Tomorrow Comes Today. Yeah, and then we got it on the US version of this release. But hey, you guys in the UK and uh, Japan, you did get that Rock the House radio. So they did... <laughs> fair, fair trade. I think they did make up for it. I think they did make up for it. You know, if I, I think, Trevor, actually, if I had to pick between the, the English version and the k Contigo version, I think I might actually give it to Ibrahim. I think he just fills the track up a little bit better. But I want to give a little shout out, Trev. Yeah, like you said, it was a missed opportunity. Why choose between the self-titled version and this one when you could, when we could have had both? Yes, uh, if you go, we have an awesome listener whose name is Lars McReady, and if you if you look him up on on YouTube, that last name is spelled M A C R E A D Y. Uh, he made a really cool edit that blended these two versions in a way that I'd never heard before. What he did is he took Damon's vocals and put them in the left channel, and he took Ibrahim's vocals and put them in the right channel. Which makes sense, because in the actual song, the melodic is on the left and the trumpet's on the right. So he kind of, mm-hmm. he put them off to their their Buena Vista Social Club and Gorilla's sides of the channels, you know? That was a very nice touch, I think. That was very cool. And you know what? The interplay between them is gorgeous. If you listen with headphones, it's yeah. really nice. I really like it. One of my favorite things about Lion Simone is that it's a conversation. It's not just Damon singing Abraham's lyrics, like translated it's really just two guys kind of talking to each other very 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 humansy in that in that yeah sense. very humansy very humansy uh the version that you want of his is called k pasa contigo what's the matter with me if you look that up there's also a youtube version trevor i want to talk touch on this because i tried so hard to figure out if this was official and i could not so there's a version of the song that was in the movie called beaver mata which is a, a south american film that i've never seen I remember hearing about this, yeah. And on YouTube, there purports to be a version that is extended to five minutes that literally just bounces back and forth between Damon and Ibrahim's version. And it purports to be the version that's on that movie soundtrack. I looked really hard to try to confirm that for you, but was unable to. So it's fun. I'm just going to err on the side of that it's a fan remix, but there is a possibility that there's an officially released blended version of these two. I don't know. I want to believe. I also want to believe, man. Next up, we've got the 19-2000 Wise Guys House of Wisdom (laughs) remix. (laughs) Now, we're talking about top three. Number one at the top of my list. No, not really. Probably, Probably, I think, the least essential cut from this record. Is this the worst song ever to occupy... Space on a Gorilla's release? Yeah, Space on a Gorilla's release, I wonder. Yeah, I would take... 10 million glitter freezes over this. Okay, so check this out. This is the B-side of the 12-inch vinyl single of 192,000, Trevor. And mm-hmm. it's so long. <laughs> it's so long. Like, like seven minutes? You need all of them? Fucking seven minutes? You need minutes? all of them? Dude, okay, if if the Soul Child version sounded like a 2001 dance floor, this sounds like a 1995 dance floor. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so bad. And, you know, this was kind of before the more sophisticated beat drops that we're used to today. So it just keeps doing that thing where, like, it does the speed up, 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 yeah, and then yeah. drops out, and then the beat just continues exactly as it was before. Yeah. Um, but you're supposed to throw something in that little bit of silence, Trevor, that feels like a, a climax, you know? Mm-hmm. So the first what one... What do they use here? The first one he uses is, a, is an old piece of film dialogue of somebody going, to business, gentlemen, which I think that's serviceable. That's the best part of the song. That's serviceable, right? Listening to this for the first time, like, not super familiar with remix culture. <laughs> right. I was like, when is something going to happen? <laughs> and, then that ha- and then that came on, and I was like, cool. Now something's going to happen. I finally reached the part where something happens. But then nothing happened. (laughs) Nothing, Dylan. And then in one of the other gaps, they just have him go, Groove on. (laughs) Speaking of which, I I looked this up. Uh, You know that looping part in the middle where he's just going, my mom. Do you know how many times he says it? No. 110. Mind-numbing. And then after that, they repeat, keep a mild groove on ad nauseum. Know how many times that goes on for? 
124. Fucking shit, man. You need all seven of those minutes? No, uh, but apparently EMI did to keep this from not being considered an EP. Fuckers. Why do you, why, there was, a pl there were plenty of phase one remixes. Why were there two 19-2000 remixes in the first, like, three tracks of the US version? Do you think people like this song? Like, do you think there's a part of the Rose fandom that likes this? Oh my god, earlier on the Discord, I mentioned that this song sucks, and somebody was like, I like the Wise Guys remix. What kind of people? That's like a weird fan community phenomenon where you can't say that you dislike any song by the band because there's there always going to be that one, one weird guy. guy. Yeah, sorry to call you weird if you're listening to the show. You're a nice fellow. We just have different tastes. Speaking of nice fellows with different tastes, we got the Sounder featuring Five <laughs> Life Cipher. <laughs> top three, top three on G side. It's a really good song. It is a very good song. Honestly, song, honestly, one of my favorite hooks in a Phase One song. Maybe top. I five love hooks. that hook. Really good. So this is a B-side across all formats of Rock the House, uh, except for the CD2 version, which was like the one with the dirty version on it. Yeah. No Dan the Automator producer credit. And guess who is credited as the co-producer of this, uh, this song? Tell me. Cass Brown. Huh. Ain't that something? Curious. Also curious is that bass line. Yeah, totally. It's from the um, Rock the House uh, chorus, right? That's where it ended up being? The Or the verse. The verse. the verse, okay. Which is cool because the feel of the song is like so different, mm -hmm. you know? A lot darker. This is like the most winning Fly Life performance in my opinion. Totally, yeah. They 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 do a serviceable job on this track. It's like a little corny, but also totally charming, you know? My favorite moment is uh, when Cy Philly says, uh, making music and feeling from Baltimore to Bristol. I know you're hearing this because my voice is clear as a crystal. That is a good one, yeah. Which is fun because one of the one of the things about my life is that you can understand every word that they say. It's <laughs> a good point. It's a good point. But yeah, that that hook is so cool, dude. It's so like funky and soulful and sleepy and like I love that hook. I love when that little like it's not a guitar. What is it? Some kind of stringed instrument comes in. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really badass. I love that. The beat in general, I think, is really cool. And I love the. I think there might be a sample of some horns that come in when the when the the song kind of crashes, you know? Yeah, that, that part is very cool. A lot of Gorillaz fans are a little salty about the song because there's no official release of the... Uh... Yeah, the full six-minute version. We only got this edit, kind of, for some reason. EMI was trying to fill out space. Give us the whole song. Yeah, exactly. Because I think it's way better. I love the intro uh, on the long version. The only reason we had that, Trevor, is that there was like a very low-print run of a two-CD version of the self-titled album that was only released in France. Huh. And the and the long version of Sounder is on that two CD version. Honestly though, I like the Sounder as it is. I really don't need it to be longer. I just like that intro a lot, man. Yeah, I it like this probably intro. kind of wear on for me, I think. Well like this song a lot though. I guess the kids won't live or die. Are you are you going on the on the record you you believe that's the last lyric of the chorus? Yeah, totally. Guess the kids won't live or die. I mean it sounds like it, but yeah. boy his 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 elocution is not He's not clear as a crystal. Speaking <laughs> about <laughs> living or dying, I know I'm killing it with these transitions. Next, we've got Faust, which is, you know, named named after that story about the guy who uh, sells his soul to the devil so that he can be immortal, right? Yeah, the Faustian bargain. That's kind of what's going on there. Known. Very Murdoch. It is. This is a B-side on the Rock the House single, uh, the clean version of the CD, and the 12-inch vinyl. This is one of the two songs on this record where there's a, an English translation of, of Japanese uh, lyrics. Damon's verse is the English translation of Miho's verse. Um, I don't love the way that the song is produced, actually. I really like it. It sounds like it takes place in a very large room. So, yeah, it's, it's got like a little bit of a crunchy low end to it that mm -hmm. like is... is you could say it's competing or maybe choking the treble a little bit in a, in a way that's definitely intentional, but... I, I really like the way this one sounds, actually. I also like that little... You can just hear a little bit of acoustic guitar in the beginning. Kind of almost like a count-in for the rest of the yeah. song. Mm -hmm. But then there's also the stereo separation of it, which is a little weird. Yeah. Like the beat, I think, is in the left channel. And anyway, my big here's my big insight into Faust this listen. Mm -hmm. I think that if you picked this song up out of G-Side and snuck it onto the fall, you almost wouldn't notice. I can see. I can see why you'd say that, yeah. Totally. It's got that fall structure mm -hmm. of being this instrumental track that suddenly there's like a little vocal thing at the end, you know? I like the way this one sounds so much more than any, anything on the fall, though. I love that keyboard. The main... Yeah, yeah. And I really like the way the bass sounds, and I like the bass line. 
it feels very sketchy, you know? It feels it like does. this was one... It does feel sketchy, that, yeah. Loose, it did, like I said. It didn't make it too far into the development before they they kind of moved on from it, yeah. you know? And the interplay between Damon and Miho Atori, I'm really into that. This is not quite top three for me, but it's up there. I do like it, though. It does have its charm. I'm, yeah. I'm just, I don't know. The the, the production, I, I might have preferred it a little cleaner, but, but hey, them's the breaks. Yeah. And then the boys are back in town for uh, <laughs> the original version of Clint Eastwood with Five Cypher. They sure are. I know this was an early take of Clint Eastwood. Really a rougher sound. It does. Uh, and there's a few different like elements in the beat that are not present on the album version. So you've got that you've got that big synth solo in the middle. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then there's also the the outro adds that little uh, dun 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 dun. You know, and in, like a new bass line at yeah. the end too. The the arrangements are just a little different though in the way it almost sounds like it could be like this one sounds almost more like it could be played by an actual band. It does have like a more of a live, especially like a live phase one quality, which to makes it, it as which makes it an interesting demo, I think, because you can almost just picture them going in there and like tracking it like this. And that's what it is. It's a demo. Yeah. It, it, this this dates back to before the hook was written and before Dell was uh, brought onto the project. Right. We do have to talk about Firelight Sniper on this song, though. <laughs> yeah. This is is this the um is this the worst rap on a gorilla's song? I think so. I think Probably, it is. Okay. Right? It doesn't feel good to say that. It doesn't, because I think those those boys are real charming. There has to be a worse one, right? There has to be a worse one. Maybe, but but uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find a worse single Gorillaz lyric than Cy Philly's, I smashed the top of your head with a guitar I borrowed from Noodle. <sighs> That's rough, man. That's pretty bad, yeah. You know what? I actually have a theory. Maybe because this was such like an early collaboration, maybe it was Damon's fault. Like maybe he had not quite figured out how to describe this project to his collaborators, and he was like leaning really heavy on you got to rap about this like you're in the universe with these characters, you know? Yeah, but I mean, even when it comes to that, there's really no excusing lines like "I take you back to the Stone Age" with Barney and Fred Blintstone, get Dino to tear your machinos and then force you to limp home. <laughs> That's not great. <laughs> Pretty bad. That's not great. Yeah. But you know what? I act, here's a, Here comes a controversial statement, Trevor Ingram. <laughs> I actually really enjoy Life MC's verse. I think he takes the focus off of the project and puts it into onto like boasting on himself. A little bit, yeah. I'm going to take off like a jetpack with the jetpack. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to make the crowd react and nod their heads until they next nap. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's a good line. I like I'm sharper than the tips of Zulu spears and Olympic javelins. Yeah. I don't like when he goes into the karate kid stuff. At the end, I do. But the only thing I like about it is his delivery on concrete, concrete, yeah, concrete, concrete. concrete. That is pretty and good. And then he goes, and then he goes, what, 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 what? Yeah, he's kind of fun. He's yeah. kind of fun on that. But then it finishes up with that, with that verse. Oh, that last Sai Philly verse. I'm as animated as Japanese animes causing calamities. That's not great, man. Not, not great. At the speed of sound, I'm wandering around. The clown done tried to defeat us. You know what? This is actually a really good opportunity, Trevor, I think, for us to talk briefly about your one of your many idiosyncrasies of Trevor Ickrath versions of record. Yeah. Um, look, I used to be really strict about adhering to official versions of records and stuff like that because I felt it was important to respect the artist's vision. Right. And kind of interact with the piece of art the way it was meant to be interacted with. Since then, I think probably around the time I got to my 20s, I figured life's just too fucking short and I'm going to listen to albums the way I want to. And, you know, Death of the Author and all that. So I actually have a resequenced version of G-Sides that I usually listen to. I think I kind of threw it together to make it more like an official release, like more of in line with like an EP or something. And of course, this one obviously didn't really make the cut. Neither did the two remixes. I only decided to keep the uh, original tracks. Right, and then and you also you did a little bit of sequencing, right, to kind of make. I the did, thing... I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't we? How about we just tease this for now? At the end, once we finish talking about the tracks, I will reveal the better version of G sides, the Trevor Ickrath edition of G sides, and I'm excited. Officially okay, we'll sanctioned by Hallelujah Monkeys. Officially, yeah. But right now, let's get on to uh, the next track. That's Ghost Train. Ghost Train. Uh, another top three for me, definitely. I like this one a lot. Definitely in my top three going into this week, and I feel like it's barely been knocked out by Dracula. I think Dracula, like, 
me finally accepting Dracula as being part of G-Sides instead of an unnecessary part of the self-titled has has opened up Dracula to love that I was denying it. Yeah, Dracula uh, and Ghost Train might be fighting it out for the same spot on my top three now that I think about it. That is a good, that's a good point. But I do love this song. Mm-hmm. Really good. The first Gorilla song, both uh, in terms of what Damon recorded and... Uh, Canonically, this is the first song that the uh, band went and laid down, according to Rise of the Ogre. Exactly, and according to another interview. Okay, yeah. so let's get into let's get into a couple of different perspectives on this song, Trevor. So in Rise of the Ogre, they're very superlative. They say the first, the very first track to materialize was an exhilarating gem named Ghost Train, a runaway juggernaut of a track, and proof positive of the undeniable magic that this foursome possessed. Sounds like a banger. It does sound like a banger, and it also sounds like Cash Brown maybe being a little bit tongue-in-cheek. And, a little and bit, yeah, a little bit. Right and high on the hog. Mm-hmm. But then let's also look at, instead, <laughs> a few years later, what David Albarn said about the song. Let's do it. When he was listening to it with Danger Mouse, interestingly enough. Yeah, like VH1, I guess, had this cool feature where they were having DJ Danger Mouse and Damon Albarn sit down together in a room and listen to music mm-hmm. and comment on it. And it's really fun if you want to hear Damon throw a little shade at Bono. <laughs> I om- I'm so tempted to ask you if I can read that quote in its entirety. Can we? Because it's so much fun. Yeah, so they played Damon and Danger Mouse, a cut from U2's famously bloated uh, 90s record, Pop. And Damon, I guess, is just waiting for something to happen. He says, how did it end, though? I bet he goes all poncy in the end. How it ends is important. He's going to get the leather trousers on, right? He can't resist it. <laughs> then in brackets, they put, music starts to explode. And Damon says, I knew he'd do it. He can't control himself for long. He has to do it. I love that. I love, I knew he'd do it. I knew knew he'd do it. Like, music starts to explode. I knew he'd do it. They're not too much kinder to gorillas than they were to you. No, they're not, yeah. Damon seemed uh, a little eager to brush that under the carpet. Yeah, so here's here's what happens. They play him as, like, a surprise, because they haven't been telling him what they're playing, right? right? And you just kind of kind of figure it out, you know? They play him as a surprise. At the end, they play Ghost Train, and then Damon goes, wait a minute, that's me. And then Danger Mouse says, I want to see if I like it. Hold on. And then Damon says, oh, well, this track is before anything gets treated. We made it just for fun. And then Danger Mouse says, I like the music a lot. People probably don't know how much sound Damon is responsible for in the pre-production phase. You hear that track, which I had nothing to do with, and it's got great core elements. You can bend it any way you want. And then Damon, just in case you thought maybe Rise of the Ogre was just some in-universe shit, right? Damon says, that's the first ever Gorillaz track. And then he says... It's not really a song. I can't really sing, so I just do what I can. Weird. <laughs> it is. It's. It's also clearly the most developed track on G sides. I mean, honestly, this one could have been a single. I don't know that it would have been a successful single, but I could see EMI talking themselves into into releasing it. Danger Mouse asks him, by the way, what do you think I would say if this was the first thing you brought me? And then Damon said. Go back and write it again, which I'd agree with you. Weird. I think it's such a fully realized song. That's always how it struck me. Like this one could have slotted perfectly into the self-titled. I mean, it's got a it's got a big hook. It's got some really varied instrumentation. Like it's got that guitar breakdown at the end, and it's got those weird, unintelligible vocals. Which, of course, when I was fifteen, I was like, "Oh, is that supposed to be Russell?" Oh yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the weird rap at the end, you mean? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on in there? That's real weird, isn't it? I will say that the, the the response of the call and response, the incessant ghost training, it does grate on me a little bit by the end of the song. Like, there there are moments when the ghost trains drop out where it feels a bit relieving. Like, I love the come on, come on, come ons, you know? Mm-hmm. But by that point in the song, I'm just kind of like, all right, we get it with the ghost trains already. But that being said, I do think it's a fucking banger. I do think that uh, that the, the Human League sample is, is used really well. Yeah, it's. I think if uh, I was really shocked when I first listened to that Human League song to hear just how similar it was. Right, it's a, it's Sound of the Crowd. If you've never listened to Sound of the Crowd by the Human League, you should go give it a spin. It's, 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 it's very striking. One, canonically, one of 2D's favorite bands. Yeah, this is like a synth blues song almost with the way that it's structured. And, it's really and, high uh, energy, though. Really high energy. I love the beat switch. The beat switch after that first uh, verse when it like gets down to fucking business. Yep. It gets kind of industrial, you know? Really cool. I even like I feel like the, the, the way that the electric guitar comes in towards the end of the song, Trevor, feels almost a little danger mousy to me. Like a like a little bit of a surprise edition of this this studio element that you didn't see coming. Yeah, you know? I, I, yeah, totally cool. Uh Hip Albatross, Trevor. Hip Albatross. One of the more impressionistic tracks on the album i think this is almost like just half like a field recording and a sample 
I gotta tell you, this was my favorite song on G Sides when I was when I was thirteen. Really? And it's still in my top three. I really fucking like it, man. I've grown to appreciate it so much more as I've grown older. It is just it's very haunting, it's very pretty, the samples are great, and Damon sounds like fantastic on it. I love the the simplicity and the interchange between the sort of the beeps and the harp samples and that guitar line. I love that guitar line. The guitar and, uh, is so nice. Just the way I love his sort of growling delivery. Yeah, this one could have been longer. I think almost it definitely could have, and it's got that Day of the Dead uh, sample in it. So it's the third Day of the Dead sample on the, uh, on the Gorillas uh, catalog, and the final one for us to talk about. Right? We've talked about M one A one and intro, and now this is the third one. That's right, yeah. I love the little tremolo when Damon's singing finishes. The, uh, 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 you know, that's so cool. Yeah, that's cool. And I love that synth that comes in. I actually have a theory about the lyrics of this song. Lay it on me. Okay. I was born a zombie. uh, And then it's either, depending on your interpretation, he's saying either by Mercury, by the sea, or from Mercury, by the sea. Mm -hmm. And I think it's about birth defects from Mercury polluted fish. That checks out. Yeah, that checks out. Born a zombie. Totally. A little bit of, little bit of uh, plastic beachiness happening in totally. there. Totally. Shades of yeah. plastic beach. Foreshadowing that. The environmental turn the band would take. Hey, speaking of environment, though, left hand Suzuki method. <laughs> These are off the hook. These segues are insane. Starts with that fat bong rip. <laughs> this is a B-side on the CD and vinyl formats of the 192000 single. Yeah, you know, when, uh, when Humans came out and there were those lyrics about, like, uh, blow everywhere i was like is that the first explicit reference to drugs in a gorilla song totally forgetting that way back in phase one they opened a song with a literal bong rip and then of course there's all the crack in demon days crack on the corner yep yeah uh i think this is my least favorite song from phase one it has its merits i would probably agree with you but i really love uh i really love the way it first comes in with that feel the impact you know i think that that just sounds like skate rap to me (laughs) yeah but i mean gorillas were kind of kind of nodded to that culture quite a bit there's all those like uh there's all those images of phase one where they're like graffitiing and stuff like this this sounds like a song that band would have made i guess that's true yeah and i think the i think the samples all kind of gel together pretty well in the end i don't know about that i'm i like the muddy waters one the whoa i like that that's really good yeah but the the long long ago thing thomas haynes bailey song long long ago the violin song Mm -hmm. so that is kind of you know about the suzuki method in general yeah why don't you go over it though because i'm sure some of our listeners don't that's fine it's just a it's just a method of teaching music to children and it sort of adopts the way that you would learn a native language uh which kind of plays into what uh miho hattori is talking about on this song yeah it does i I, in fact my theory is that probably miho hattori was chattering away in the studio about the suzuki method and then damon was like do that on the mic. Yeah. Tape it. Cut it. And she she gives her own English translation, a sort of adorably halting English translation of her Japanese lyric. Yeah. In this. Uh, I think I just think this is a charming track. Yeah. Not in my top three by like any means, but it's good. It, I just don't know if all the elements come together for me. I I don't understand why this was the pick for the the second pack in B side for the U S edition of the self titled. Yeah, that's a weird choice to make. Because here's the problem: is that the the jung jung section and the long long ago section feel like they don't go together to me but i wonder if like somebody had busted a rhyme over this and damon sang a little hook over the long long ago if i would feel that they go together more maybe oh, i would i would love to hear a version of this song like that i feel like it would fix it almost like the um glitter freeze alternate version kind of does with that track well let's go ahead and do our fan uh <laughs> version where you'll rap and i'll sing a hook over it we can do that live. We'll do that live. The future's coming on. We've got one more. We've got one, two, D, three. I think this is a nice one. I really like this as a closer to this record. It's kind of sums up, I don't know, all the loose atmosphere of the album, I think. This is a good look of Damon trying to figure out what the project was and just kind of testing the waters. This is like the nicest, I think, in character musical moment in the Gorillaz project. Yeah, definitely. It just it's very charming. Like it, it almost seems like a sketch of a world in which the whole project leaned more heavily on the animated band musically and it's not bad. Yeah, which it might have at some point too. That's why I should have talked about this when we were talking about Ghost Train. But the thing that's interesting to me about Ghost Train is to think that like Jamie and Damon were ripping on like S Club 7 on MTV and then Damon's like we could do this better and then the first thing he thought to record was Ghost Train like I don't quite see how that is congruent to the conversation that birthed this uh, this 
and this virtual band. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, that isn't the first kind of step you'd expect him to take if he's going to go for something kind of counterculture, really. I have a question for you. Do you think that the lowest harmony on the mmms in this song are Damon attempting to sing as Murdoch Nichols? No. He's, he's trying to do like a scratchy voice. I think he's just kind of trying to add some more textures there. And I really like the way those backing vocals sound. I just really, I know some people like to think that there is cartoon band representation in the music. And I think sometimes it plays out like that. You know, like plastic on the ceiling, plastic on the ceiling. That sounds like Noodle, like shouting something. But like, I really do not think Damon ever goes, all right, got to add something that sounds like Murdoch. The only reason I say it for this song is because the lyric, uh, I'm 2D, makes me think that he was really trying to think in terms of this band as he was recording this song. I think it was probably just something he said in the moment, you know? Like, gotta gotta come up with a melody for now. It is an oddly catchy lyric. Who knows if he's even specifically referring to 2D the character there, you know what I mean? Or just the concept of cartoons being 2D. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. But the, but the fact that he's, he introduces himself and then requests that you buy him something... <laughs> Makes me think that maybe he's uh, he's trying to sing in character. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But it is it is a lovely little song, and it does it functions as a closer for G sides in a way that frustrates me that the rest of the album isn't really sequenced in a way that makes sense. It works very well as a closer, though. And hey, if you want to talk about sequencing that makes sense, we can finally get into uh, my little version of the album. Okay, let's crack the knuckles. I want to hear. I want to hear the Trevor Ickrath. Uh, resequence G-Side. Let's do it, alright? So I got eight original, I got the eight original songs from the album. It ends up being a perfect 30 minutes, which is very nice, because that appeals to, you know, the other control freak part of me. I think it would be a good idea to open up the album with Left Hand Suzuki Method. Ooh, bold. Like it. Like it. Yeah, you got that bong rip at the beginning, which is perfect. Uh, And then, you know, you got that really kick down the door thing with a Really cool. Yeah, this is, feel the impact. That's definitely like kicking the doors open for, for the rest of the record. It's a perfect intro song to the album, you know? Then for track two, you got Latin Simone, where Damon comes in properly. Right. Kind of establishes him. It's a good track two. Dracula, we start getting a little airier. That's track three. Another nice. good kind of Damon song. A good kind of, by now we've eased into the G-Sides experience. And then the first half of the uh, album, like, you know, side A closes with the sounder. Right, which is nice because it's, it's sort of like introduces the last remaining element of the sound totally and it's just a a climactic sounding piece if you will yes yeah so side two opens with faust nice yeah i think that's a pretty good you know put in almost a near instrumental interlude between the two more polished songs i think because track six i would have ghost train yeah that'd be great yeah and this is the last kind of full gorilla song i think and it's a good one to go out on it's like the centerpiece of side two sort of yeah then uh we're almost wrapping up with hip albatross yep Perfect second to last track, I think. Dig it? Yeah, and then you close off with one, two, D three. I like it. You know what? I, I will make myself a little a little Spotify playlist and call it the Trevor Ickrath version. It would have been a nice little charming release, I think. Yeah, I think it it would be like maybe just barely over a hair over the EP length, but who gives a shit, man? Yeah, who cares? Who gives a shit about any of this except for our show? Thank you for continuing to give a shit about our show. Yeah, thank you so much for tuning into the G Sides episode. I feel like our listenership might drop off a little bit now that we uh, got humans out of the way, but hey, if you're here, if you're here, we appreciate you. Yeah. And we're going to be getting into these uh, these alternate to main studio records LP length releases over the next few weeks. Maybe we'll have some other surprises in there for you too. We'll see what comes uh, down the pipeline. Welcome to this uh, the supplemental officially released material uh, leg of the show. Season two is this season two? Do you consider the season two? Yeah, this is is this our disappointing sophomore effort? I guess we'll, I guess we'll find out. I don't think it'll be too disappointed because, man, I am psyched to get to D-Sides. We kind of talked about this a little bit before we got on mic, but I'm really excited to talk about that album. We'll get to it next yeah, week. Yeah, to me, that was like, the in the way that at this time a month ago I was really anticipating talking about Demon Days, I'm really, really anticipating talking about D-Sides. I can't wait. Say. I can't wait. Uh, if you're listening and you want to get in touch with us, make sure to hit us up on Twitter at Gorillas Fancast, on Tumblr, hallelujahmonkeys.tumblr.com, facebook.com slash Hallelujah Monkeys, or email us hallelujahmonkeys at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. There have been some amazing uh, people reaching out, sharing their theories about humans. That was awesome. That's been really fun to read, yeah. Please send us that kind of stuff. And also, hit us up if you got any any ideas about G-Sides. Maybe maybe you think you could improve G-Sides if you threw a little film music on there, or maybe just hit us up. Hit us up. We'll we'll talk about film music. 
just hit us up if you got G-Side's ideas. That's all I'm saying, We'd Trevor. love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I am Dylan Flynn. I'm Trevor Ickrath, and hey, after a hard day, it's time to wake up. I got an alternative. Let's get in that old whirly bird here. Find us an island someplace. Get in there and spend what time we got left. Soak it up some sunshine. Sounds like a good plan. Uh, we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye, Sam. 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 Bye,